The Yankees continue to sputter, but Mantle and Maris start going yard. It's episode nine of Baseball 61. There it is. There it is. If it stays fair, there it is, number 60. How about that? A standing ovation for Roger Maris, who got number 60. Fastball hits deep to right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Baseball 61, a podcast about the historic 1961 New York Yankees and the Major League Baseball season of 1961. I'm Dan Lavallo. We begin with Friday, May 26th. Rain and cold weather wreaked havoc on the American League schedule, including at Yankee Stadium, where the Yankees and White Sox game was rained out. The game would be made up on July 27th. But the Yanks made news off the field. The Yankees' bonus baby, Jake Gibbs, was at the stadium, greeted by manager Ralph Houck. Pictures all over the papers. Gibbs, an All-America quarterback out of the University of Mississippi, opted to play baseball, a sport at which he succeeded at Ole Miss. In fact, he was a third baseman at Ole Miss, and that's how the Yankees signed him. They signed him as a third baseman, not as a catcher, where he would eventually end up. He received a $100,000 signing bonus from the Yanks, the largest ever doled out to a player by the Yankees. Uh, As we said, Gibbs was a third baseman in college. His choice came down to the Yankees and the Milwaukee Braves. When asked if he picked the Yanks over the Braves because Milwaukee had Eddie Matthews at third base, Gibbs said, quote, not at all. I've always wanted to be a Yankee. I played with a winner for four years in college. And I want to keep on playing with one. Of course, Gibbs did become a catcher with the Yankees, and he ended up on Yankee clubs after the glory years, if he only knew. Gibbs was going to stay with the big club for two weeks before being assigned to Richmond, the Yankees' AAA club in the International League. Yankees manager Ralph Houck said, We're not going to try to give him much instruction while he's with us. We just want to make him feel at home and get used to the Yankee organization. Another baseball news on this date, May 26th, the Chicago White Sox optioned hard-throwing 28-year-old left-handed pitcher Herb Score to San Diego of the Pacific Coast League. Score had been having control problems and never was the same pitcher since being hit in the face on a line drive off the bat of the Yankees' Gil McDougald on May 7, 1957, while pitching for the Cleveland Indians. Score was 1-2 and two for the White Sox. In 1960, pitching for Chicago, he had a 5-10 and 10 record with a 3.71 ERA. A 3.71 ERA, he'd still be pitching if this were 2021. Who wouldn't want a pitcher with a 3.71 ERA in 2021? But in 1961, those pitchers were getting farmed out. Saturday, May 27th. Yankees and White Sox rained out again at Yankee Stadium with no makeup date set. This meant that beginning with Sunday's doubleheader, the Yankees would play 20 games in 16 days with no days off. However, manager Ralph Houck, always the optimist, tried to calm the waters when asked about the schedule, saying, quote, let's not get too panicky. It may not be as bad as it sounds, 
Don't forget that the other clubs are faced with similar problems. And right there, I think we've got the edge. Ours is a pitching staff that doesn't have to rely on just two or three aces. It's deeper than most. Houghton emphasized that Whitey Ford would be put on a program where he is starting every fourth day. The Kansas City Athletics were also making news on this May 27th, and it had to do with attendance under the new owner, Charles O'Finley. Washington Senators General Manager Ed Dougherty was upset because the A's were giving away tickets to their game. The first two nights Washington was in Kansas City, the Athletics admitted 23,000 fans for free. Now remember, the visiting club gets a portion of the gate receipts, and Dougherty complained the Senators were getting shortchanged because Kansas City was giving away the tickets when his club was in town. Quote, the A's don't let in people for nothing when the Yanks come to Kansas City. Sunday, May 28th, with the weather finally turning better, 44,435 turned out at Yankee Stadium and watched the Yanks and White Sox play a doubleheader. And they also witnessed home run derby and nine home runs being belted in the twin bill. In the first game, both clubs hit grand slams as Chicago won 14-9 in a three-hour, 28-minute marathon that started at 2 p.m., Bob Serve, Yogi Berra, and Bill Scourin hit home runs for the Yankees, but it wasn't enough as the bullpen collapsed. The Yanks had rallied from a 6-0 deficit, scoring six runs in the sixth inning, chasing starter Early Win, the 41-year-old right-hander who was in quest of his 289th career win. Then the Yanks scored three more runs in the seventh to take a 9-6 lead. But the bullpen allowed four runs in the eighth and four in the ninth as Luis Sorroyo suffered the loss. The second game didn't start until 6.02 p.m. And Roger Maris gave New York a 1-0 lead in the second inning with his ninth home run of the season. The White Sox answered with three in the third. But pinch hitter Jesse Gonder started a two-run rally in the Yanks' half of the inning with a double. And the Bombers added two more runs in the fourth and held on for a 5-3 win behind the stellar relief pitching of Jim Coates, who improved to 5-2 and two with six innings of scoreless relief in the two-hour and 33-minute game. The Yanks and White Sox, nine home runs in the doubleheader, as I said, helped to set an American League and Major League record by hitting 27 homers in seven games in one day. The old mark of 26 was set by the National League in eight games on May 30th, 1956. The balls were flying out of the ballparks. Speaking of home runs, three players were now tied for the American League lead in home runs, each with 12, and not one of them was named Mantle or Maris. Jim Gentile of the Orioles, Rocky Colavito of the Detroit Tigers, and Harmon Killebrew of the Minnesota Twins were at the top of the home run leaderboard in the American League. As for the standings through Sunday, May 28th, the Tigers, who had cooled off somewhat, were in first place by three and a half games over Cleveland and four and a half games over the 21 and 16 Yankees. In the National League, the Giants at 25 and 13 held a two and a half game lead over the Dodgers and three games over Cincinnati. Monday, May 29th, weather continued to cause problems in addition to the Yankees' cold bats as New York embarked on a four-game series against the Red Sox at Fenway Park. 
Before the game, Yankees manager Ralph Houck said he was dropping pitcher Art Dittmar from the starting rotation and relegating him to the bullpen. I don't know just where Art has gone astray, but it is obvious he's not pitching the way we know he can. So maybe a couple of weeks in the bullpen as middle reliever will help straighten him out, Houck said. By the way, that's about as critical as Houck would get of a player in public. Uh, Thanks to the rain, by the way, the start of the game was delayed for an hour and 20 minutes, then was played in a cold drizzle. However, 21,804 Hardy fans turned out and watched 31-year-old Ike DeLock outpitch Whitey Ford as the Red Sox defeated the Yankees 2-1 in a tidy two hours and nine minutes. DeLock permitted only five hits. Yankees' only run came in the seventh inning on a homer by Mickey Mantle, his 11th of the season, tying the score 1-1. Earlier, a home run by Jackie Jensen gave the Red Sox a 1-0 lead. And the last of the seventh, Ford walked two batters and then Vic Wirtz. Yes, that Vic Wirtz that Willie Mays made the spectacular catch on at the Polo Grounds in Game 1 of the 1954 World Series. Vic Wirtz delivered the run-scoring single, that gave Boston a 2-1 advantage that held up. The Yankees tried to rally in the ninth inning on a leadoff single by Tony Kubek, but DeLock struck out Cleet Boyer and Roger Maris before Mickey Mantle drove Jensen to the front of the bullpen in right field for the game ending out. No bullpen relief for DeLock. The loss dropped the Yankees five games behind the first-place Tigers at 21-17. The Red Sox at 17-21, trailed the Yanks by just four games. The expansion Washington Senators were just one game under 500 at 21-22 and 22 in fifth place, just two and a half games behind the third-place American League defending champion Yankees, who led fourth-place Baltimore by percentage points. Meanwhile, the Chicago Cubs were making news with their College of Coaches. Remember, the Cubs did not have a manager, instead using owner Philip Wrigley's concept of rotating coaches to guide the team. Every two weeks, a new coach would take over serving as a quasi-manager. Well, after losing seven straight and 18 of 21 to drop to 12 and 26 on the season, the Cubs announced they were bringing back popular Charlie Grimm to join the College of Coaches. Grimm had managed the Cubs on three different occasions, including in 1932, when the Cubs played the Yankees in the World Series, the series when Babe Ruth supposedly called his home run. Tuesday, May 30th, Memorial Day, and 19,592 turn out at Fenway Park to watch the Yankees put on a power display, belting seven home runs and a 12-3 victory over the Red Sox. Mickey Mantle started the power display with a three-run homer in the first inning, his 12th of the season. Later in the contest, he would blast his 13th of the campaign. Not to be outdone, Roger Maris slugged two, his 10th and 11th home runs of the year. Bill Scourin joined the fray, adding two home runs, his 7th and 8th of the season. And Yogi Berra hit his 6th home run of the campaign. By the way, this marked only the fifth time in Major League history that three players on the same team had at least two home runs apiece in the same game. Only one of the homers, by the way, cleared the famous Green Monster, one of Scourin's round trippers. The other six were deep, going to right or right center. 
In fact, Mantle's second home run went to dead center into the famous triangle, some 420 feet from home plate. In other words, outside of the scouring homer, the Yankees were not aided by the green monster on this day. Now, despite the Yankees' onslaught, starting pitcher Ralph Terry had to be lifted in the third inning when the Red Sox erupted for three runs. Bill Stafford, who was the winning pitcher, entered to pitch four scoreless innings following three shutout frames from Jim Coates in the two-hour and 56-minute game, which also featured a bit of a beanball war. After Coates hit Jackie Jensen with a pitch in the eighth inning, Coates was hit in the ninth inning by reliever Mike Fornelius, who had yielded back-to-back home runs to Maris and Mantle in the eighth inning. (laughs) Yes, pitchers batted back then. After Fornelius hit Coates, he was warned by plate umpire Bob Stewart and immediately fined $50. By the way, not only did the Yanks put on quite a power display, but batting leadoff, Cleet Boyer went four for six in New York's 17-hit attack off losing pitcher Gene Conley, Dave Hillman, and Fornelius. And the actual radio broadcast of this game exists, with Yankees broadcasters Mel Allen and Phil Rizzuto calling the action. I will link to the broadcast in the show notes. The Yankees also picked up a half game on the Tigers and were four and a half games out, although they dropped into fourth place while the Orioles were sweeping a doubleheader from the White Sox. As for Chicago's other team and their college of coaches, well, Charlie Grimm was back in the dugout, and the Cubs swept the defending world champion Pittsburgh Pirates a doubleheader 5-3 and 10-0 in front of 30,852 fans at Forbes Field. There was also a trade, as the St. Louis Cardinals dealt shortstop Daryl Spencer to the L.A. Dodgers for shortstop Bob Lillis and a rookie outfielder Carl Warwick. And on this Memorial Day, in front of 200,000 fans, A.J. Foyt won the Indianapolis 500 with a record average speed of 139.131 miles per hour. And in thoroughbred racing, 65,569 turned out at Aqueduct to watch jockey Eddie Arcaro ride Kelso to victory in the Metropolitan Handicap. Wednesday, May 31st. President Kennedy was making his first foray into Europe as president, meeting with French President Charles de Gaulle in France. At Fenway Park, in front of 17,218 fans, the Yankees and Red Sox put on quite a show after New York jumped out to a 7-1 lead after four and a half innings. Once again, the M&M boys led the offense, with Roger Maris slugging his 12th home run of the season, a 425-foot blast eight rows up into the bleachers in right center off of Billy Muffet, and Mickey Mantle adding his 14th home run of the campaign. But the Yankees should have had more runs, managing just one out of a bases-loaded first-inning uprising. That set the table for the Red Sox comeback. Boston scored a run in the fifth, two in the seventh, chasing starter Roland Sheldon, and then tallied two off of reliever Luis Arroyo, one in the eighth and one in the ninth. That forced manager Ralph Houck to bring in Danny McDivitt with runners at the corners, one out, and the Yankees clinging to a one-run margin. McDivitt threw one pitch and got Vic Wirtz to ground into a game-ending double play as the Yankees escaped with a 7-6 victory in two hours and 52 minutes. 
It also enabled Sheldon to win his first major league game after dropping two decisions. Bronx native Frank Malzone led the Boston attack with a home run, three hits, and three RBI. Before the game, two Yankees bonus babies. Yep, Jake Gibbs, who's getting a lot of press for his $100,000 bonus and working out at third base, and 18-year-old left-handed hitting catcher Billy Madden, who received a $25,000 bonus after starting out his career at Boston College. Well, they both worked out for Coach Jim Hegan. With the Tigers losing, the Bombers were on the rise in third place at 23-17, and three and a half games behind first place Detroit, at one game down in the loss column. Thursday, June 1st. Only 5,227 turned out at Fenway Park for the finale of the four-game series between the Yankees and Red Sox. And it was Boston's turn to jump on the Yankees pitching, chasing Bob Turley in the third inning and routing Art Dittmore. Remember, he was relegated to the bullpen to straighten out his act? (laughs) Well, it didn't work. Danny McDivitt also got routed as the Red Sox took a 7-1 lead to the eighth inning. Rookie Carl Yastrzemski, homer to help the Boston offense. But New York rallied, sending Boston starter Bill Mombaquette to the showers in the eighth inning with two runs, one scoring on a Bill Scourin homer. Then Scourin struck again in the ninth off reliever Ted Wills, following a Mickey Mantle single with a two-run homer. Holy cow! Two home runs in two innings for the Moose. Enter right-handed reliever Tracy Stallard. Wait a minute. Shouldn't that be Phil Rizzuto saying, holy cow. Anyway, enter reliever Tracy Stallard. The stage was set for some controversy, as John Drebinger writes in the New York Times, quote, For a few minutes, there was quite a rhubarb when manager Mike Higgins of the Red Sox contended Elston Howard already had been recognized as a pinch hitter for Johnny Blanchard, a left-handed batter, by umpire Joe Linsalata, before Wills, a left-hander, had left the game. But the arbiter explained he had made a mistake. Blanchard was permitted to bat for himself and doubled off the right-handed Stallard. Higgins then announced he was playing the game under protest. Stallard settled down to retire the next two batters, with Elston Howard making the last out. Manager Higgins withdrew his protest, and the Red Sox held on for a 7-5 win in a three-hour and eight-minute game earning a split of the four-game series. With the Tigers in Kansas City ending in a 4-4 tie after seven innings because of rain, the Yankees were four games out again. A former Yankee was also in the news on this June 1st. The Milwaukee Braves traded Billy Martin to the Minnesota Twins for infielder Billy Consolo and Cash. Martin had caused quite a stir in April, claiming in a feature story in the sporting news that he had never started a fight. It's just that he never walked away from one either. He had a short stay in Milwaukee as the Braves bought him from Cincinnati in December of 1960. Former Yankees pitcher Bob Porterfield was also in the news, dumped as pitching coach of the last-place Syracuse Chiefs of the International League. The club claimed Porterfield was trying to take over for manager Gene Verby. Reports were that during a clubhouse meeting in front of the manager, Porterfield said Verby must be replaced and he should take over. Verby then left the meeting and went to Chiefs General Manager Dom Labruzzo. Porterfield was then dismissed, but before he left, he said, I got the hatchet for speaking up for the other players. He also denied being interested 
in becoming the manager. Also making news, comedian Danny Thomas, who was part of a syndicate that offered nearly $5 million for majority control of the Chicago White Sox. The bid was for 54% of the stock held by a group led by Bill Veck and Hank Greenberg. Chuck Kaminsky owned the other 46%. The Yanks, coincidentally, were on their way to Chicago. Was it time to make room for Danny? Well, that is going to do it for our latest Baseball 61 podcast. Be sure to follow our podcast in the Apple Podcast directory, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also visit Baseball61.com. And as always, thanks for listening. I'm Dan Lavallo.